All right, everybody doing good? All right. Great to see you on Mother's Day and all you mothers. Happy Mother's Day to you. Hey, I did want to mention Tuesday, we're having our business luncheon in the ground floor at noon. I'm going to be speaking on a burnout, and uh, you can register online at reslife.org events. But uh, today, I-, I want to bring a message on how to honor your mother. Now, how many, how many of you know, how many know five of the Ten Commandments? Yeah, you're doing really good. Uh, most people could not give you five of the ten. But there's ten commandments that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. They're called like the big ten. They're divided into two sections. There's four that have to do with your relationship with God. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make any images. Don't use my name in vain. And then the Sabbath to the Lord. Those four have to do with our relationship with God. And then there's six that have to do with our relationship with each other. Now, the first one of those is the fifth commandment, which says, honor your father and your mother. Think about it. The first commandment that God gives when it comes to how we relate to each other has to do with honoring your father and your mother. This is a big deal. It's a big deal. I think that it's probably the commandment that people forget more than any of the others is honor your father and your mother. It's repeated in the New Testament when it says Ephesians in Ephesians 6 in verse 1. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, notice it's even the first commandment with a promise that it goes well with you and that you live long. Honor your parents, honor your father, honor your mother. Now, if you don't do this, you may not live long. It may be because we'll kill you. <laughs> because we, we may have had such thoughts that time, you know, when kids are really not honoring and, and a little bit on the rebellious side. Because of, of the number of blended families, I want to point out here It says for children to honor your parents in the Lord, or excuse me, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, with the word parent there, the Greek scholars tell us actually refers to the person who provides for you in whose house you live. Right. So with a blended family, somebody said, well, that's not my that's not my dad. That's not my mom. You know, but that's your parent. You're living in their house. Right. They're providing for you. It says obey them. For this is right. But it says, honor your father and your mother, right? And that's your biological parents. It says, you honor your father and your mother. Somebody said, well, they don't deserve it. You don't do it because they deserve it. You do it because of the position that they hold. And you do it out of obedience because God simply tells you to honor your father and your mother. And honoring your mother matters to God that it may be well with you. In other words, the Bible is saying there's consequences when you do not honor. So I want to give you some real simple, simple steps on honoring your mother today. Now, this is so important. We think about this, that on the cross, Jesus deals with this. There are Jesus. Jesus has seven statements from the cross. And one of those statements 
is about honoring your mother. When it says in John 19, when Jesus therefore saw his mother, he said to the disciple whom he loved standing by. Now, now look at me for just a moment. John is writing this. And when he says the disciple whom he loved, it's John. Now, John loved, Jesus loved all the disciples the same. But John just knew it. John knew it. And he just said, that's who I am. I'm the disciple Jesus loved. Jesus didn't love John more. It's interesting how John's personality comes through. In fact, when uh, Jesus arose from the dead, the ladies come back and they tell the disciples who were in hiding, hey, Jesus has arisen. Well, Peter and John take off running and they run to the tomb. And this is what John writes. The other disciple, speaking of himself, outran Peter. <laughs> we, we just got a little thing going on there, you know. It's, it's, it's right here in your Bible. So, so when he says the disciple that Jesus loved, it wasn't that Jesus loved him more. He just knew. Listen, Jesus loves you same as he loved John. It's no different. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, to John, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own house. He supplied for her financially. He met her needs. He watched over her. He protected her. Church history tells us that John later moved from Jerusalem to Ephesus. And he took Mary with him. And she lived in John's house in Ephesus and he provided for her for all of her life. But isn't it interesting that on the cross, Jesus is honoring his mother and taking care of his mother? Why? Because it is a big deal. In uh, Mark chapter five, Jesus is talking with the disciples and this honoring thing, Jesus brings it up. He says, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father and mother shall surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained or whatever help I could have given you is a gift given to God. So instead of helping their parents, they say, well, I gave it to the church or I can't come and help you because I'm giving all my time at church. They no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus, you make void the word of God through your tradition. What Jesus is saying, he's saying it is more important that you honor your parents than just about anything you can do. He said, don't say I gave all that money to God. Don't say I use all my time doing this or that or the next thing. He says, you need to honor your parents. And those are two ways that you do it. You do it financially and you do it with your time. Listen, when you're born, when you're born, you already owe your parents nine months room and board. <laughs> when you're born, you, that, that's right. That's your condition. Listen, this is the Bible. First John, first, first John, first Timothy five, verse four. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show pity at home and to repay their parents. For this is good, acceptable before God. They fed you, they trained you, they cleaned up after you. And the Bible says that they're older and they need help. You and I, we should be the ones that supply that. Right? Proverbs 23, listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she's old. Take care of them. Now, when, when my mother was older, she, she came and lived with us and, uh, and she, she became violent and... Uh, 
was really fighting dementia. And we had somebody who would come into the house and help us with her. Um, but I remember one day we, we just we needed to do something. So we were going to run into town just for a couple minutes. Uh, we're going about 10 minutes when we get a phone call and it's from our neighbors. And my mother is in the middle of Wilson Avenue with her cane. And she is screaming at cars and waving them down. And they stopped and said, what do you mean? She said, I need to go to the bank. Well, she didn't need to go to the bank. And they says, well, well, where you come from? She says, that house. And they said, who lives there? I don't know. You know, she, she didn't know and, and she had become violent and it just got to the point where she needed 24 hour a day care. And uh, we put her in a home. And every, every day that I was home, I would go and sit down with her and have coffee with her. Just sit down 15, 20 minutes, just have coffee with mom, talk to mom, pray with mom. And you say, why did you do that? I did that to honor her. And, and when, when, when she was promoted to heaven, let me tell you something. You know how many regrets I had? I had zero regrets, zero. I can't tell you how many people I have talked to. Listen. Their, their parents are promoted. And you know what? They've got nothing but regrets. Nothing but regrets. Um, this is the, I really think that of all of the commandments, this is the one that we miss the most. I remember when I grew up, we, we would go to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. But every, every Sunday afternoon, we got in the car and we drove 20 minutes to grandma and grandpa's house. And we sat down in their little living room and we had tea and windmill cookies. Now, it was just what, what were we doing? We were honoring what was my grandfather and grandmother. It was my dad's father and mother. And then about every two or three weeks, we would get in the car on Saturday, drive 115 miles to see my mother's mother and just check up on her, just help her, just be with her, just let her know she was loved. That's, that, that is a rare, rare thing today. But we are supposed to honor. We're supposed to share our life with them. Take them with you whenever you can. That's one of the ways that you honor them. Don't let them just sit around alone. And I'm going to talk about this. But there, there is an interesting book in the Bible. It's the book of Ruth. It's, it's very small. It's four chapters. And it's about a woman named Naomi who leaves the city of Bethlehem and goes to the nation of Moab. And there her husband dies. Her two sons marry, but then her two sons dies, die. And she comes back to Bethlehem after 10 years. And one of her daughter-in-laws, Ruth, is still with her. But when she gets back, her name is Naomi, which means favored by God. And when people say, Naomi, what what? she says, don't even call me favored by God. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. Because God has done such bitter things to me. But her daughter-in-law just keeps on taking care of her and providing for her. And marries, and this is what it says. When, when her daughter-in-law has a child, he shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Her daughter-in-law 
just kept on providing for, caring for her mother. And, and it literally, this is what it says, it restorer of life and a nourisher, a nourisher in your old age. You know, we, they, our, our parents, as much as possible, they need contact with us, right? We are to love them unconditionally. You know, when they're young, they give the best years of their life, taking care of you, providing for you, giving everything that they possibly can. And then it's interesting how sometimes as they're older, they ask for something and we consider it such a burden, such a burden. But we need to honor them, honor them by hugging them affectionately, if you possibly can. You know, there's, there's a bumper sticker that you've probably seen. People have this on their, a lot of people have it on their car. that says, have you hugged your kid today? I think we need one that says, have you hugged your mama today? Because we need to hug our mothers. There needs to be affection that's shown them, all right? And do it while you can. Do it while you can. Show that affection. Now, somebody says, yeah, but you don't know my mama. You don't know my mother-in-law. You just don't know. Now, now I want to address this, okay, because this is really important. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, this is the beginning. Before there were such things as parents or in-laws, God spoke, and it's what he said, Genesis 2, 24. He says, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife. So here's what it means. It means when you get married, your, you, you, there, is an, there is a closeness and an allegiance to your father and mother that gets transferred to your spouse. Your spouse, become, you, you and your spouse, you become a family unit. And you need to cut some aprons. From you. you say, yeah, but they're controlling us. You let them control you because you haven't cut the apron strings. You, you, you in your heart, you don't physically leave, but you come out from under their authority. And as a man and a woman together, husband and wife, a family unit, you pray, you seek God and you get the will of God for your family. And if you are afraid of what your parents or your in-laws are going to say, it's because you have not left in your heart that home. They're, 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 you say they're controlling me. You're letting them control you. You, you. you cannot have a Jezebel without having an Ahab. You can't have somebody that's controlling unless somebody lets them control. And in your heart, you need to, you, you need to cut the apron strings and say, we're a family unit. We pray. We hear God. And this is what God wants us to do. Now, listen, that doesn't mean that you get mad and you disrespect them or dishonor them. You just simply say in love and humility, this is what God is leading us to do. We love you. We honor you. This isn't about you. This is about us. But you've got to cut those apron strings. But you still, you honor and you come in humility. And you need to let your mother know that you love her and that you appreciate her. In Proverbs 29, it says, her children rise up and call her blessed. How many of you are doing that? You rise up, you call your mother blessed. You husbands, you rise up and you call your wife blessed. And it says her, her husband also and praises her saying, many women have done well, but you excel them all. Don't think your parents know that you love them. Tell your mother, we love you. 
It is something that needs to be said. Don't just assume it. And, and listen, do not ever talk disrespectfully to your mother. I did one time. <laughs> Once. And my dad was there. And I said something to mama. And I do not even remember what it was. But, but my dad talked to me. And this is what he said. He said, you will never disrespect your mother and talk to her that way again. You will honor your mother and my wife. You will honor them. And if you don't, you won't be seeing out of your other eye either. <laughs> now, there's a little, little, little hyperbole there, but, but you, get the, you get the message. I mean, it was like right now you honor your mother. You do not talk disrespectfully to her. Now, understand uh, to honor her, understand and sympathize with the changes that go on in her life. Not just physically, but you know, you start a woman, she starts single, she gets married, she has kids and, and you, you, you know, as your kids grow up, everything in your home is changing. And then finally come that comes that empty nest stage. Hallelujah. <laughs> we thank you, Jesus. You can finally kind of like move around in your skibbies again a little bit. Uh, do not picture that in your mind, please. Do not picture that. <laughs> but mama, she, she cleans and she cooks and she counsels and she teaches and she's a judge and a peacemaker and a referee and a sounding board. You know, and it is your mama who always believes in you, always believes in you. I found that I was in my study yesterday and, and I found this. I'd actually put it aside for something different. And I just happened to pick it up and, and read it. I want you to listen to this. This is about Thomas Edison. When young Thomas returned home from school one day, his mother noticed he had a piece of paper in his hand. He told her it was a note from his teacher and she was the only one who was supposed to read it. When she did, she grew tearful. When the boy asked what it said, his mom replied, says, son, it says you're a genius. And they said that this school is too small for you and they don't have enough good teachers to train you. And they said, would I please train you at home myself? From then on, Thomas Edison's mother removed him from school and he was self-taught. She allowed him to curiously pursue what interested him and to devour it. Years later, after his mother died, Edison was rummaging through her belongings and came across the note from his teacher. When he read it, he was stunned. It read, your son is Adley, mentally ill, and we won't let him come to school anymore. We don't have teachers who can handle him. You'll have to teach him by yourself. Edison wept for hours. Since that time, he gave his mother credit for cultivating his genius as an inventor. She, was, she saw something that others didn't see in her boy. Right? And when she read that note, ultimately what she read in that note ultimately led to the same result. Thomas Edison had to learn at home. And it was his mother who believed in him and brought the genius out of him. You know, your mother will always be believing in you. You know, we need to be forever grateful, forever grateful. And don't forget them after we've received so much. We need to understand and, and look at things from their, as if we were in their shoes. And listen to her with an open heart. Solomon wrote, and he said, my son, 
hear the instruction of your father. Don't forsake the law of your mother, for they will be graceful ornaments on your head and chains around your neck. Solomon was the greatest king that perhaps that Israel ever had except for King David. He was the wisest man that ever lived except for Jesus. He was the greatest achiever of his generation, the richest man alive in his day. And when his mother walked in, the Bible says that he stood, he went down, got her by the hand, brought her up. He stood out of his throne and had a throne put right next to him, put his mother in it and said, anything that you want, I will not withhold anything from you. That was honoring his mother. He, uh, he, he wrote much of Book of Proverbs using his own name, but he also had a pen name that's found in Proverbs 31, and it's King Lemuel, King Lemuel. And he says, this is what he said, the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him, which his mother taught him. He treasured the things that she taught. And so often we forget those things. You know, but when you're hurting, you know who you want? You want your mama. She's the one that understands. She's the one who's always compassionate. In 2 Kings chapter 4, there's the story of a, of a man. He's out in the field with his son. And this young boy is probably about eight years old. And he gets a headache and he goes to his father and he says, Father, my head. This is what the Bible says. His father said, take him to his mother. <laughs> That's one of my favorite Bible verses. Take him to their mother. So, so. The Bible says he comes to his mother and she just takes him and puts him on her knee and just loves on him. I don't know why it is, but it, mothers, they just have the gift of mercy. And they're concerned about the small things as much as they are the big things. And when you're, this is what I think. I think when you're old enough to know something, nobody asks any questions. Is it, yeah, the, Here's what I've noticed, all right. We get, we get these young kids, you know, they're in their 20s and their 30s, and, and they don't even think that mama has enough sense to take care of their babies for two hours while they go have dinner. Listen, mama raised four or five kids without your help and they turned out fine. And you think you know something, you don't know anything. You're just, you're just learning. Now, now I, I don't know if I should say this. We may need to take this off the tape. But, but one of my mentors has since gone to heaven, Lester Summerall from South Bend, Indiana. And he said, here's what he said. He said, young people should die because they're stupid. He said, old people should keep living because they're finally know something. And if you're old, you can probably relate to that. Take that off the tape, please. All right. Help them cheerfully. You know, as we're growing up, they're the greatest helpers. They're always available. They're the ones that changed your diapers. <laughs> uh, and now if they ask for something, some of us ask like it's a big deal. All right. Don't bother me with that. No, we need to help cheerfully. Help cheerfully. Mothers just have, they just know how to solve stuff. Other people don't know how to stop. Uh, Darlene Bishop, the pastor's wife, was going to church one Sunday morning. She tells this story. She had two, two girls. One was five. One wasn't quite two. And she would dress them every week just incredibly. They, they wore pageant dresses every week to church. So they got up in the morning and, and uh, she got the girls ready and then she went and got ready and, and they're on their way to church and the, 
She's in the front. The two little girls are in the, in the back seat. And the youngest one says, Mommy, you forgot my undies. <laughs> I know what I'd say. I'd say, Jeannie, help. And, but, but, but she just said to the five-year-old, she says, uh, take off your undies and give them to your sister. Now, here's what she knew. That, that, that one and a half-year-old, she was like on 220 all the time. She'd be running. She'd do somersaults. She'd just, you know, she'd just like, I got to do something. So, so she says to the older one, take off your undies. And, and the five-year-old's like, no, mama, no, no, mama, don't make me. Mama says, do it. She said that five-year-old sat in church, never moved a muscle. Never moved a muscle. Look, mamas, they just know what to do. They handle all kinds of situations where the daddy doesn't have a clue. All right? Daddy just doesn't have a clue. So remember them gratefully. Remember them gratefully. Take them to the store. Include them in your life. Call them. Email. Communicate. Do something. All right? You're important. You're important to them. And they need to feel love. They need to feel love because I'm going to tell you what. Here's what the devil tells them, tells parents as they get older. Your life is over. You're a burden. You have no purpose. You're an inconvenience. And you just need to get out of the way. You just need to get out of the way. That's what the devil tells them. Right. But you know what? You're the one who can tell them that you love them and that they're important, and you can include them in your life, right? Even when they get so old, they can't work. Let me tell you what, when they can't work, they can pray, right? They can pray. And the, the older they are, the more they need you. The older they are, the more they need you. Now, this is a true story. You, you got, some of you are gonna look this up online. It's about Peter Richley. In 1820, Peter Richley left England on a boat headed towards Australia. It's one of the strangest survival stories that you'll ever hear. And as they're on their way to Australia, they get into a storm and the ship sinks. And Peter Richley is the sole survivor. He gets picked up by another ship that is in that shipping lane on their way toward Australia. The second ship that rescued him also has difficulties and sinks the next day. He is picked up by a third ship and he's rescued, but the third ship also sank. But he is picked up and rescued by a fourth ship, which also has difficulties and sinks. And this is true. Some of you are going to check me out. This is true. The fish, fifth ship sees him bobbing in the water. If I'd have been the captain, I, I think I'd have just shown him a life preserver or left him a boat or something, you know. But the fifth ship picks him up. And the ship, fifth ship has difficulties and also sinks. And a sixth ship comes by and picks up Peter Richley. The name of the ship is the city of Leeds, L-E-E-D-S. When he gets on board, he's examined by the physician that's there. And they said, you're all right, you're fine. And the physician and the captain approach him. And they said, there's something we want you to do for us. And he said, well, you saved my life. 
He said, I'll do anything. They said, we have an elderly woman on board and she has endeared herself to every crew member. He says, but she has fallen sick about two weeks ago. She has a tremendous fever. We don't even think she's going to live to make it to Australia. And she is on her way to Australia to see her son. She has been estranged from him for 10 years. And we just want you to go down and we just want you to act like her son. Any crew member she's going to recognize. But would you please go down and pretend to be her son so she can die and die in peace? So they go down and they open the door to this very, very small room. And there's a frail, elderly woman laying there, gray haired. And as they walk in, this is her prayer, which she has been praying. She said, here's what Peter richly hears. Oh, God, don't let me die. Let me see my son one more time. And when Peter richly sees her, he just literally falls and just begins to weep. Because that woman is Sarah Richley, his mother. Five boats sunk, but a mother's prayers kept that boy alive and brought them together. To some of you, you should have died, but for a mother's prayers. You'd have been in bondage. You'd have been broken, been in addiction, except for a mother's prayers. And there's some of you right now, there's a mother that's praying for you. There's a grandmother praying for you. And those prayers are powerful. In fact, for some of you, that's probably the reason that you're here today. Not by accident, because a mother, a grandmother, somebody is praying for you. Now. This is not the end of the, this is not the end of the message, but I'd like you to bow your heads right now. And I just want to pray for mothers. And Father, we thank you for every mother that's here. For every mother whose family is represented in this place today. We ask you to bless those mothers. Bless them, Father, and let them know how much you love them. And we prayed right now, Father, for every woman that's here, that her heart desire is to be a mother. But for some reason, she has not given birth. We pray, Father, for healing in, in bodies. We pray, Father, for restoration in bodies. And we pray, Father, for every woman that's in this place that's desiring to have a child. And we pray, Father, that you would supernaturally give whatever healing needs to take place in their body. And we pray, Father, that they will become a mother. And we pray, Father, for every prodigal whose mother is represented here today. And we pray, Father, we agree with those mothers that those prodigals are coming home in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. In 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter one in verse five, Paul is speaking to Timothy and he says, when I remember the genuine faith that's in you, which first dwelled in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is also in you. Here's what Paul is saying, Timothy, the faith that's in your heart, 
You, it came to you through your mother, but it came to your mother through your grandmother. See, the greatest thing that you can do for your children is not entertain them, not give them a fun day at the lake or the beach or the golf course. The greatest thing you can ever do for your children is to pass the faith that is in your heart to your children. And it never happens by accident. It happens when you decide you're going to do it, when you're going to put God first. But there's people here today that you're away from God and you're not right with God. And you could have died in the condition that you're in. But there is a mother that's been praying for you. There's a mother praying for you. And you may have never thought of this, but there really is something better than going to heaven. And that's going to heaven, taking your family with you. That's better. That's better. Now, please, every, every head bowed, every eye closed. Today, you're here, you're watching this, but you're not right with God and you're away from God. And you need to get right. I'm going to count to three in just a moment. And when I say three, will you please lift your hand? And we are going to pray together. And you're going to come and you're going to give your life to Jesus. And you're going to receive what he purchased for you in his death, burial, and resurrection. And when we pray and say amen, and we say amen, you're going to be forgiven and you're going to be right with God. For some of you, it's an answer to prayers that have been prayed for you for years and years and years. Some of you, you don't even know why you're here. You're here. You're here because you've been prayed for. You're here because God is drawing you to himself. You're here because today is to be the day of salvation in your life. As you lift your hand, you're saying to God, first of all, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I'm coming to Jesus to be forgiven and to be saved. One. As you lift your hand, you're saying, today I'm giving Jesus all of my heart, all of my life, and the faith of my parents is going to begin to come alive in my heart. Two. Now get ready. As you lift that hand, you're saying, today, Jesus, I'm receiving you. You're going to come into my heart. You're going to blood wash me from my sin. I'm going to be forgiven, a part of your family, on my way to heaven. Three. Lift your hand. Pray with me. Pray with me. Thank you. I see that hand, and 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 another, and another, and another, and another, and another, and another. Up in the balcony, over here. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless 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 you. Way in the back. Thank you. Back against the wall. Extreme right over here. Thank you. God bless you. Right in that back section over there. Another hand in the balcony. Thank you. Now, would everybody please rise? Nobody moving. Nobody moving unless it's absolutely necessary. Now, if you lifted your hand, please look right at me. Would you move to the aisle that's nearest you, wherever that is, bring whoever you came with, whatever you came with, but make your way right down here. God is going to meet us right here. I'm going to come down. We're going to pray. And when we say amen, that path, it's gone. You're going to be right with God. He's going to make you new on the inside. 
This is the most important decision you'll ever make. From the balcony, please come down. We'll wait for you. Just keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. Bring whatever you brought. Bring the person with you you need to. Whatever you need, but make your way down. This is going to change your life, your eternal destiny. Old things are going to pass away. All things are going to become new. Give them a hand. Thank you. Thank you. How many? Two. All right. Awesome. Guys, thank you. All right. This is your day. This is your day. Romans 10, verse 13 says, whosoever. That means this will work for anybody. It says, we'll call on the name of the Lord. Now, we're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. All right. And when we say amen, about two minutes, your past is going to be gone. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be a part of his kingdom today and forever. All the way from the balcony. Thank you for coming down. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Everybody, please take one hand, place it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven. And let's all pray this together. Make these words your own. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. And I thank you, you have heard my prayer that I am forgiven, that my past is gone, that I'm a part of your family today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Most important decision you'll ever make.